0: Tonight we have uh, a wonderful opportunity to welcome uh, uh, the embryologist, the Zuzana Holubcová, whose research into the causes of uh, female infertility been been. Uh, actually um, immense Uh, uh, and uh, it was the one which sort of uh, started in Cambridge in the UK in 2011 and uh, she continues this research now based in uh, Brno, Czech Republic at the uh, Department of Histology and Embryology at the Medical Faculty of Masaryk University in uh, Brno. Uh, Zuzana will tell you a bit more about uh, her research and achievements. Uh, I would just like to uh, uh, draw your attention to the format of the event. She will do her presentation for about an hour and then we'll have space to ask the question so think about what you want to ask while you uh, observe her wonderful, uh, wonderful presentation. Uh, as I said this is the first of the uh, Science Café we are organizing so we will be doing many more so please follow uh, follow our program sign up for the newsletter if you haven't done so yet and come and uh, to the next one, which will be probably in the end of uh, in the end of May, but now please welcome Zuzana uh, Zuzana uh, Holubcova. Good evening. I would like to thank for the
1: introduction and thanks for inviting me. First of all, it's great to be here because London is it has a very special place in my heart because I spent here a lot of my free time when I was working in the UK. So it's great to be back. Uh, and thanks, thank you for coming because it's my pleasure tonight to take you to a very dramatic journey and dramatic uh, events which takes place at the very beginning of our lives. Date of birth. It's probably seen as the beginning of human life. It has always been regarded as a magical moment, the entry, the arrival of a hu- new human being into this world. It has been celebrated in many cultures. We all remember our date of birth because we are expected so when we are communicating with, uh, I don't know, different regulatory bodies and so on. Uh, some of you might be reading your monthly horoscopes, hoping to learn what's what's destined to you. Numerologists would calculate what's uh, what sort of person you are based on date of the birth. Uh, But that's not the very beginning of our lives. Because we are mammals, uh, we do develop inside of the female's womb. Uh, People always knew, always uh, seen that female body is changing during pregnancy. But they didn't know what's happening inside of the womb. And obviously they were very curious. So it's not surprising that the very first cell being observed by first microscopist, Antony von Leeuwenhoek, was a sperm. He was obviously curious what's causing, what's inside of that uh, liquid he produces at the moment of climax. And what he saw was a sperm. And it has been proposed that inside of the sperm, in its head, it's sitting very, very small creature uh, called Humunculus, which is which is just a miniature of the human being, and it's growing within female's body. So she serves as a walking incubator. Uh, modern genetics proved that female's contribution is uh, somewhat bigger. <laughs> uh, it's not that such a long time ago. Actually, for for me, my parents they had the var- uh, male variant of the, of the name. As well as female variant for the baby they expected, because they didn't have un- ultrasound at the time. Nowadays, if you see this on Facebook, you know exactly what's going on. Okay, they are expecting family. You you even know the gender of your future baby from the f- after first trimester of pregnancy. Uh, with the modern technology, you can even look at the face of your future ba- or of your baby if before it's born, and. With This technology, you can even see how the baby behaves within the belly. You can see it's kicking here. And maybe we will see, at the end of this video, we will see a labor. It's quite drastic, (laughs) isn't it? So it's, it's something our ancestors wouldn't have thought about. They were just expecting for the very day of delivery. But for me as a scientist being interested at the very beginning of our lives, this is the most fatal moment of our lives, the moment when we were created, conceived. And this is a moment of conception. We've got the egg, and several candidates, sperms, who are <laughs> trying to be, hoping to be a winner or they are actually struggling, they are fighting and only one of them will be the lucky one and will fertilize the egg. This sits or naturally in vivo, this happens in fallopian tubes within female body, but in 21st century the story of fertilization or the story of conception could take place in the dish. Uh, it's either ordinary in vitro fertilization or canonic canonical in vitro fertilization, where two gametes simply meet in the dish. Or uh, the very modern uh, way of fertilizing, particularly when there is a problem with the sperm, is this intracytoplasmatic sperm injection. Uh, these days, uh, assisted reproduction achieved a lot. You can have your you can you can have your sperm delivered straight to the, the egg. Uh, you can have your embryos or your gametes frozen. You can uh, genetically test it. Uh, but so so you might be surprised to hear that actually we know very little about human reproduction, and most of what we know is actually based on animal models. The reason is quite simple, it's very difficult to perform any research in humans, first of all for technical reasons, secondly for ethical reasons. So animal models are helping us a lot, particularly uh, the the most used uh, animal model is, uh, is mouse. Uh, it would be nice to perform uh, experiments on pig or cow because you would have barbecue at the end of the experiment, but it would, it's, it's very expensive. So it's it's only for proving principles which were discovered in mice, and it's these animal experiments uh, revealed very in particular things about about history of our sex cells because it starts very, very early in the development. Actually, our, our history of reproduction starts at a stage where we are the embryo because that's the stage where so-called primordial germ cells do a little trip from developing embryo, that's the embryo, and they do escape uh, early developmental differentiation decisions. Uh, and only later they return to an embryo proper. It's like uh, if you've got a very important meeting where tasks are being distributed amongst workers and you just take a break and you go for a loo. When you are back, you are free of any duties. That's the reason why the, the cells do this, because during differentiation events they would be given a task. During this excursion, short excursion they are uh, freed from from these tasks and they do return and they keep uh, very special properties. They do migrate into uh, part of the embryo where future, uh, it's called genital rigids, and um, this is the place where future uh, gonads, uh, reproductive organs, will be formed. So it's very early when sex cells are being somehow just uh, set, set for their purpose. Here they undergo extensive proliferation which means that they will make copies of themselves uh, cells they do reproduce to make proper copies. They do divide uh, using this, this program mitosis, which means that they do duplicate their DNA. We've got two sets of chromosomes and uh, duplicating DNA, uh, each chromosome will be formed by two sister chromatids so, We've got two chromosomes here, red and blue, and they are both composed of sister chromatids. During mitosis, these sister chromatids will be segregated. So the the daughter cells are equal to each other, each bearing uh, two sets of each gene. But after several rounds of this regular division, there is another very specialized division taking place, and it's called meiosis. Uh, It's called reduction division, And during this process, first, Uh, so-called homologous chromosomes because we've got two sets of chromosomes. So every chromosome is is represented by two copies. And each of the chromosomes is composed of two sister chromatids. But first, these homologous chromosomes are segregated and then they undergo division. So we've got only one sister chromatid in each cell. The purpose of this is reduction of genetic information. So at the end, we've got cells which have only one set of genes. Why? Because they hope to meet another gamete which has only one set of genes, so together they will form again uh, the cell which has two copies of genes. This is called sexual reproduction, and it has been developed by evolution, but it, cause, it causes our, 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 us a lot of problems because, let's say, bacteria, they do not need any other bacteria to reproduce. They just do it when they want. For any organisms reprodu- using sexual reproduction, it's more uh, difficult because they have to find a partner. So what's the advantage? The main advantage is the combi- new combination of genes, new combination of chromosomes, because having two sets of genes uh, and 20, uh, 23, Uh, uh, chromosomes within one set uh, of of genes, we've got a really high number of possible combinations of new chromosomes. So that's the advantage. We can create new variants which might be uh, advantageous to environment which is continuously changing. Uh, so the program is the same for uh, is the same for all sex cells, but at least when it comes to reproduction, there is differences between genders. In spermatogenesis, uh, the process uh, follows the basic scenario, and after mitotic divisions, we've got meiosis producing four so-called haploid cells from one diploid cell. So we've got four sperms from one pre ancestor, but in oogenesis. Uh, The process is somewhat... somewhat, it it somewhat differs. We've got one primary oocyte, which divides into big cell, primary oocyte, and one adjustment cell, adjoined cell, and that's a small polar body. Uh, normally, when cells divide, it's a, it's, uh, the distribution of solar mass, mass is equal. This is a very special case, and the reason why uh, the distribution of mass is uh, not symmetric, it's highly asymmetric, actually, is to keep solar material for the egg. This egg, uh, if fertilized, will uh, extrude second polar body. Uh, again, the, the solar material will be preserved. So we've got, in oogenesis, we've got only one uh, cell, uh, sex cell, being produced after meiosis. The so a big difference to four sperms. And there is another difference, uh, and then that's the length of the process. In male, uh, the whole process of spermatogenesis takes seven to two days. So let's say three months. Every three months, the male produces new, completely new population of sperms. For eggs, uh, they start, they enter meiosis uh, already at the embryo stage, and they are arrested in, uh, in, in in this process, and they complete process only when they are uh, recruited uh, after the onset of puberty, which means that the wall. Uh, all genocides could be 45 years long because all sides are sitting there from the moment when the embryo was created. So it's, the egg could be actually a very old cell at the time of fertilization, and this is causing a lot of troubles. So there is another peculiar, peculiarity, and that's a size difference. Cell so, uh, the the oocyte it's really a huge cell it's a true giant between cells, whereas sperm it's really tiny it's minuscule. Uh, the reason for this are the it, 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 rep- it actually reflects two two very different strategies. The egg spends all its life and um, basically piling up c- cellular material for future embryo development. It's like accumulating stores the embryo will be living on, so it's like blowing a balloon. Whereas sperm, uh, it's destined to travel, and it wants to travel light. You're yeah, obviously running faster if you've got just just very light luggage, uh, so they want to condense, compress the cellular material as much as possible. First strategy is to get rid of unnecessary organelles and Deliver, they want to deliver genetic material so that even the genetic material has to be compressed uh, basically packed for traveling and they use a special strategy so they uh, normally uh, in uh, nucleus there are special uh, type of proteins the DNA is, is uh, run is uh, Uh, But in sperms, these proteins are exchanged for special proteins called protamines, which are making it extremely condensed. So the sperm is very small with DNA really really highly packed. So it reminds me about this, the two strategies of packing. Really, egg spends a long time on storing materials, stocking everything, whereas sperm It takes just 72 days for for packing genetic material and it wants to be very tightly packed. Sperms are actually very brave because they are set for a journey on um, foreign land, let's say, and has to overcome many Physical and chemical barriers because they are in different different uh, individuals' body, so they have to get through cervix. Here is different pH; uh, it's too acidic typically for for sperm, so they have to be really well trained to find they uh, the. To complete the mission, to find the egg, they th- actually can get lost in th- different oviducts where the egg-, egg was not ovulated, so which is ob- obviously a problem. So they have to find the egg, which is uh, in the best case somewhere in fallopian tubes, uh, not really waiting. It's 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 sudden encounter because it has been released by ovulation and sperm has to get there good thing is that that sperms they can rest there they can actually rest for more than five days so making really uh, some preconception practices not very reliable so they can really park there they are just slowing their movement and waiting for the egg Uh, they are very fit for purpose if you think about their the, the shape, uh, it's just the head, neck, full of uh, mitochondria, which are providing them with energy, and long tail. It's, they are really made for swimming, because they have to deliver genetic material. So swimming is very basic characteristic of these cells. So this is normal sperm sample with really viable sperms, nicely swimming. But sometimes, not always, we are that lucky. Here you can see sperm, and it's not a still image. They are simply not moving at all. Here is another sperm. Here is another sperm, not moving, or there is just really some some, redu- some minuscule movement, but not very obvious. These cells were retrieved from uh, uh, testicular tissue because the men couldn't, uh, or the ejaculate adju- didn't contain any sperm, so they had to be taken from the tissue. And now I have a little quiz for you because. Uh, different species they differ in morphology of sperm so you can guess uh, uh, to which animal species these sperms belong i can tell you that one of them is uh, a cock bird one of them is a mouse and one of them is sea urchin Mm -hmm. so you can try (laughs) Is the cock. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Any other birds? <laughs> mouse. Which one is mouse? A.
0: Uh-uh.
1: no. Mouse is very t- very typical. Any other guys? <laughs> see, see, yeah, see, urchin, a bird, a cock, and mouse. Rodents in general. Mouse is, c. mouse is c so mouse is c or b c, <laughs> c. yes <laughs> I do not have any present for you, (laughs) I should have brought something somewhere award. but yes, C is mouse, uh, B is cock and A is sea urchin. Uh, There is a very special thing, a very remarkable thing about mouse sperms because they have something like a hook on their heads and there is a reason for it. They form uh, so-called sperm trains and the reason they do it is that It's uh, because rodents are uh, said to be very promiscuous species. I don't know, I never checked them, but I'm bound to believe. So the sperms of the one individual tend to form a cluster. Because at least at the very beginning, at the beginning of the travel, they want to ensure that at least one of them will achieve the aim. So they do cooperate. Because the female could have had uh, sexual intercourse with other males, so the sperms from one individual, they they, they they cooperate. So they basically behave like a peloton of cyclists. They help each other, they are much better in propelling movement, um, but their behavior changes very much once they smell the egg. They, and they literally smell the egg. <laughs> it's a chemical produced by um, eggs, um, the cells surrounding the egg and once they feel it, once they smell it they start to behave differently and it's like a female walking in the the bar Uh, the friends will start to compete with each other they want to get hair so the same is with sperms and how about eggs? they are always seen as very passive in this like sperms are competing, sperms they have to uh, find them and they have to fertilize but how about eggs? they are just passively ovulated? yes, it depends. They are competing for ovulation because there are multiple candidates. These, this is this is cross section through ovarian tissue, and these small rounded cells are primordial oocytes, uh, some ancestors which haven't entered meiosis yet. They are just piling up storage material. All of them could become uh, this fully grown oocyte in a follicle. But the question, which one will become that princess, which is ovulated, is very much dependent on their ability to convince surrounding cells to nutrition. them. They've got something like nerve cells, which are helping them to develop. So, they ha- and they have to encourage them to do so. So, it's really mutual cooperation. And once this is happening for the most, let's say, proactive ex. But and once they, and there are multiple of them each month, but the one which is the, the best one. Uh, the the most active one. Uh, once it reaches certain threshold size, starts to produce chemicals, which uh, by which uh, uh, they are suppressing the other candidates. So it's very, you know, very witty way how to win the competition. I have to uh, convince somebody to support me, and then I have to restrain uh, those who are competing with me. So it reminds me about this competition, so you have to have supporters and you have to make sure that the others won't win. Uh, So both gametes are actually competing for that happy encounter. These cells are equal in genetic contribution. Both of them will bring one set of genes but they differ in size, they differ uh, in uh, solar material they are bringing. Uh, for egg, it's as I said, it stores solar material and it will provide the uh, future embryo with solar mass. Whereas sperm, it will bring the organelle, which is helping them uh, to, to, to move, to propel. And at the same time, it will have, help uh, f- future embryo to divide. So it's They they are equal in the contribution of the genetic material and unequal in other contributions, but they are both very highly specialized cells with only one purpose of their life. Unless they meet each other, they will die. So, but if they meet each other, they will form a zygote uh, new, which has a new combination of genetic material. This is how it looks like, it has two rounded nuclei, this is male nuclei, this is female nuclei, and it's new combination of genes and it's a big, true beginning of, li- of new individual uh, life. So to me, it's like, really, they cannot exist without, them, without each other but together they can form something really unique. so they have to complete each other. So it's like uh, when the mother is, when, when the, the kids are set for trips for, for school trip, mother will support them or will equip them with uh, sandwiches to help them to survive and the father will take them to the airport or to the train station. So they are both important. They are both important for happy for, for setting on a happy trip. And here, the, the most dramatic part of the embryonic development starts. It's a, First, it's division, it's cleavage divisions where one cell has to divide into two, two cells into four, four cells into eight, and so on. So they produce this cell, which is called morula. It looks like raspberry, And now it's a stage of compacted morula, which to me uh, seems like it looks like uh, chewing gum. And now it's forming blastocyst, which is the uh, so it's it's an early embryo with cavity, and at the end of it we've got. I can go back, uh, so at the end it's a blastocyst, uh, which has uh, some where first differentiation decision has been already made, there is a, a cell population called uh, trophoectoderm, uh, which is important for interac- uh, embryo interaction with endometrium, and embryo itself, which is small population inside embryo blast. Here we can see the embryo, which set on a very dangerous journey, and that's the implantation, It's very critical part of the development because the embryo has to convince endometrium so basically female immunity to adapt it to to tolerate it because for for female body it's something foreign half of the genes are totally unknown are they, they they have to be convinced that this belongs that this should be tolerated it's not a parasite it's genetically it's actually half parasite and this is very impo- this is very critical moment of embryo. It has to be very viable, very healthy to convince uh, maternal endometrium to embrace it and to nourish it. And we actually know very little about this stage of development because it's very difficult to mimic in, in the lab- laboratory. Most of what we know is really from mouse studies. But uh, it's, it's called actually the black box of development. Uh, during post implantation development, it's more complex, uh, more complex differentiation, divi- uh, differentiation divisions are taking place, and at the end, we've got this happy arrival. But it's not that every human conception would result into live birth. It's actually, some report says it's actually less than 30% official. It mo- most accepted hypothesis is some, somewhere around 30%. So 70% of embryos which are conceived won't make it. And the reason for that is aneuploidy. Uh, that's a condition where there is an ab- abnormal number of chromosomes. And this condition uh, is very frequent in early stages of development. Later on, it's rather rare. The incidence is rather rare. Um, We know that there are some medical conditions or disorders when um, babies are born with extra chromosome, but there are only three of them. We've got 23 different chromosomes and 23 chromosomes within one set of genes, and only three of them, three autosomes, are uh, if they have extra copy. somewhat compatible with life. Uh, Probably the most known is Down syndrome which is a trisomy of chromosome 21 which means that there are three chromosomes 21 instead of two copies. Then there is Edwards syndrome, which is trisomy of chromosome 8, and Pato syndrome, trisomy of uh, chromosome 13. Uh, these two are uh, the babies could be born, but they do not typically do not survive longer than three years. Typically, they do die during labor. Uh, its situation is a little bit different with sex chromosomes. It will sound a little bit weird, but sex chromosomes are not uh, that essential they uh, we can survive having extra chromosome or lacking one chromosome uh, for people with Turner syndrome they look like females they lack. Uh, uh, one chromosome X or one chromosome Y, they actually they have only one sex chromosome, so they are something between male and female, let's say. Uh, similar Kleinfelter syndrome, that's extra X chromosome. We've got also a syndrome of super male and super female, super male being attributed to, or it has been discovered in prisoners. And it has been associated with uh, aggressivity, funnily enough when they did another genetic testing, they uh, discovered that this is also frequent in in, um uh, soldiers and uh, some policemen. So that's quite concerning. And there is a syndrome of super female, which I put quite a funny picture here. But typically, you cannot recognize them. It's, these women are very pretty. Uh, they do not have any skin problems, let's say, during puberty. But they are typically not infertile, but subfertile. They have they have problems with fertility. So having extra chromosome or lacking chromosome is a problem. And uh, surprisingly, the, the human, as I said, human embryos are very often aneuploid, particularly at the early stage of development. Uh, the the causes of it are two, what's it? Two two main main sources of the of aneuploidy. It's either errors during meiotic division, particularly in uh, uh, in oogenesis, in in um, in the egg in this case when the egg is genetically abnormal this condition will be inherited by all cells within the embryo because it's it's simply bad from the start so the wall all cells of the embryo will be affected and this is something where uh, uh, yeah, I've done some piece of research because it was critically important to know what's actually happening during the process when egg develops and why is it, uh, why why it's, what are the causes of uh, egg aneuploidy? So, we uh, in in a laboratory in Cambridge, we were able to record these movies of human egg uh, undergoing uh, maturation in vitro, uh, and we were able to film how it segregates chromosomes and explain at least partially explain why they are. So so bad in it, or they are very prone to errors. Uh, part of that research was also: so this is how it looks like the chromosomes are being segregated, and we describe the mechanism, how the division uh, mechanism, the division mechanism, how, how this is being executed. Uh, Part of the research was actually focused on explaining why this is getting worse with aging, because this is well known, you can read about this in all female magazines, that there are some limits for female uh, fertility, and with aging the chance of conceiving, chance of getting pregnant is decreasing, and uh, correspondingly uh, the likelihood of having uh, a baby with trisomy increases, particularly uh, yeah, for women who are they are older than 35, you can see here this steep increase. Uh, so this is uh, something. This is a fen- phenomenon called biological or maternal age effect. Bio- it's it's behind biological aging. So biological clock. it's said that women uh, can hear their biological clock ticking, so they know that they should have baby uh, before they. Are too old, let's say, for that. So, that was, this was part of the, the research when we explained that uh, that process of uh, segregation of chromosomes is affected by many errors, but it's, it's too complicated to go into details here. Uh, but in principle, there is another way how uh, embryo aneuploidy could arise, and that's uh, through errors in mitotic division. In this case, uh, the errors happen slightly later which means uh, that only some cells might be affected. Uh, eventually, uh, we can have a so-called mosaic embryo, in which some cells are genetically euploid, they are fine, and some of them are genetically abnormal. And it will depend, um, it, uh, it will depend on, on the ratio of those normal and abnormal cells, whether the embryo will survive, whether it will be viable, whether it will implant and whether it will develop to the term. Uh, Just to explain what's happening there. So this is how normally cell divides. This technique is called live imaging and you can see chromosomes and mitotic uh, mitotic spindle, the aperture which is uh, dividing chromosomes. So the normal way is to divide into two cells. So all behaving cells do so. But sometimes uh, you can see cells which are dividing into three. Let's tend to do so. It's dramatic. We will see in a moment. It's still struggling but eventually... will get there yes so we've got three cells instead of two which means that the number of chromosomes in these daughter cells won't be right it won't be the the, the number we are aiming for and this is a problem and this is actually happening in human embryos as well this technology was used to film uh, human embryos. So this is normal division and you will see uh, chromosomes being divided in cleavage embryo and which will eventually make a blastocyst so there will be a small cavity inside. This, this technique is really powerful and it reveals a lot of details about embryonic development. So this is how it should look like but sometimes we can see this. First, already first division is erroneous, it's aberrant, and that's obviously a problem. This technique, live imaging, it's invasive. We have to introduce fluorescent markers to visualize structures which are otherwise invisible. And that means that these embryos or any cells, they cannot be used clinically. So what we are left with... In the clinics, is a new technique of non-invasive monitoring of pre-implantation development, and this uses only transmitted light, so it's um, it's very gentle to the embryos; it doesn't harm them. Uh, so we can so we can watch them divide, and this is yeah. And here you can see the very similar thing: the the first cell divided into three cells, uh, then the two cells fused and both cells divided into three daughter cells again so this is real case real patient case so we've got instead of four cells at this stage we've got six cells this embryo is genetically abnormal and won't develop Uh, this technique has really opened up new opportunities for clinical usage because monitoring pre-implantation development we can not only learn much about how human embryos develop, but we can also help patients, Uh, we can help to decide which embryo is suitable for transfer and for which it's rather risky because it might be aborted or um, we could actually introduce some genetic disorder. yeah, it's just an explanation that with abnormal division we can have a cell we can an embryo which has cells which divide it normally and cells which divide it abnormally. The funny thing is, or confusing thing for the embryo, clinical embryology, is that they, these embryos, they might look totally normal. Uh, because normally, without this technology, which has been only recently introduced, they only checked how embryos look like at a certain time points. So they assessed morphology only. They didn't know anything about dynamics of the division. They couldn't watch the whole continuum of the the development. And sometimes this morphology could be very misleading. uh, Because being obsessed just with the beauty, with the appearance, uh, we might make very bad decisions. Because very nice embryos are very often unemployed. So this hunt for beauty, may not be the right thing for clinic for clinicians because something which is beautiful may not be robust and viable enough just a small example these embryos they do fulfill criteria for good development because here we've got two pronuclei here we've got several cells at morula stage, and here we've got blastocyst with the cavity and very nice defined embryo blast, embryo proper. But these are just snapshots, and I will show you the video of the full development. And it's it was visible that the pronuclei was not at the right size, and the division was irregular at the very beginning. Here it's visible that these cells. Uh, let's play it again. Uh, yeah, it's irregular division, and these cells will be actually extruded from embryo body. They are not viable, all this part. So just the appearance uh, at certain time point does not give you the same amount of information as uh, filming. So I'm really, really excited to work on a project where we are looking at embryos, and even if we are not visualizing structures, like with live imaging, we can still learn a lot from transmitted light and I hope it's gonna be another piece of stone into big mosaic of of the mystery of human development because we still know very little and uh, particularly IVF uh, industry these days it's really uh, very hasty in introducing new techniques without uh, uh, actually working on uh, broadening our basic knowledge about about nor, about normal human development. Uh, one remark I wanted to make here is that I belong to a generation which was educated. Uh, we had lessons of uh, sexual education, let's say, and we were warned we were told how not to get pregnant. Uh, but we were not warned that uh, fertility doesn't last forever. And uh, so many people in my generation are now surprised that when we finally want to settle and have a family it may not be that straightforward as we thought uh, it's sometimes so many couples have to approach ivf clinics and uh, to have a baby it's i'm sometimes reading that there is a epidemia of uh, Infertility, but uh, I would like to point out that infertility has always been here. The old cultures they worshipped goddesses of fertility. Uh, there are still shrines uh, where you can you can um, pray for having baby. Uh, even in history, there were wars for kings not having heirs and some queens lost their heads for not producing a healthy child. Uh, we even eradicated, almost eradicated some animal species in our hunt for uh, reproduction and sexual uh, libido, let's say, and it, was, it has been also inspiration for uh, for literature or culture. Uh, and it has been accepted that infertility uh, is uh, God's will and nothing can be done about it until this man challenged this view this very dogma and he helped patients who had problems to conceive to have a baby Uh, his name is Robert Edwards and he worked in Cambridge and it's a really great uh, figure to be followed I think because uh, he uh, did a lot of research in mouse and he Really sacrificed his own life to help to deliver this technique uh, to clinical practice. He was awarded by the Nobel Prize. Uh, on this picture, he is holding uh, newly born Louis uh, Louis Brown, who was uh, she was born in uh, actually forty years ago. She very recently, or in August, she she celebrated 40th anniversary. And on this picture, she is already with her son, who was conceived naturally. So this is. Robert Edwards, is called the father of in vitro fertilization, the technique which is now sometimes considered as plan B for many couples, but I would like to point out as a scientist working in very close collaboration with, uh, with IVF clinicians, that uh, assisted reproduction could help many, but cannot help everyone. We are still know very little and it's really heartbreaking to say patients who mm, Somewhat didn't expect that there might be a problem and if there is a problem we can help them but we cannot, that we still know very little and simply there is no there is no help. And finally I would like to point out that the baby is not something you can click collect online, it's something you can claim. Clinicians can help, can try to help, but sometimes it's not enough and it's... We, we can, we can we can try to help but sometimes it's simply not possible. So it's it's not a product to be purchased. Uh, as a take-home message, I would like to point out that uh, we sometimes take for granted when a healthy child is born. But from what I told you tonight, uh, it's re- the the healthy baby the, the delivery of healthy baby is rather of chance. The likelihood is actually quite quite small, 30 percent. So if it happens, we should be really happy, because it's 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 not something which comes on. It's it, it's it's uh, something extraordinary. And I will finish with this uh, joke for embryologists. And I would like to thank you for your attention. I'm happy to take your questions.